Hey, everybody, welcome to the We Talk in Spaces podcast, where we explore the power of connection. Super excited today. I have a friend and a mentor with me, someone who's been such a blessing. This is uh, Professor Ingrid Slickers. She's assistant professor of social work at Andrews University and the executive director of the International Center for Trauma Education and Care. Uh, she's an LMSW, a certified clinical trauma professional and a certified clinical family professional and affectionately known by her social work students as the trauma mama. <laughs> yes. Yeah, is there, Where did that name come from? Is that a thing? I was going to ask you the same thing. Who started that, Rico? <laughs> I don't know, but I know I've, I've, I've heard that and I've loved it. How do you feel about that? It's all good. I think it started way back um, with some of, you know, I, I think you said we might talk a little bit about our work at Bethany Christian Services, but I do think it started, you know, way back then at some point, because sometimes with students, I'll do the, I'm old enough to be your mama. And mm -hmm. that's probably where it came from. That's what it is. That's what it is. Well, thank you so much for joining. Um, uh, I'm really excited. I haven't had uh, the opportunity to have classes with you yet. I am a I am a master of social work student at Andrews, um, but yeah, like you like you already mentioned, I know we crossed paths originally um, through uh, yeah Bethany Christian Services, and um, I know while I was there, I had the opportunity to supervise um, a, uh, a refugee foster care program for unaccompanied refugee minors, and I was only there a couple of years. It was one of the best experiences of my life. Um, but Ingrid, I know you were there for a long time. In fact, much of what we have today, you started. Tell us a little bit about what, what your time with Bethany was like and how you got involved there. What was that about? Oh, Rico. So that's one of those definite God moments, right? Um, so way back in 2013, I think it was, um, the Grand Rapids, which as you well know, the Grand Rapids is our national office, reached out and said, Hey, you guys down there in the little southwest corner of Michigan. Um, do you guys think you could you could start a program? Because we've just got too many kids and don't, you know, need need more foster homes and more programs. Uh, so literally, we said yes. How could you not? Um, and literally within 30 days, you know, it started. Um, what at that point was the transitional foster care program, which were the kiddos from south of the border that were coming coming into our country and were unaccompanied. Um, and then, as you well know, by the time you came on, we had multiple programs that served across, you know, quite a stretch of locations wow. um, and quite a stretch countries, right? Different countries. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, that was definitely some of the best work I have ever. I mean, I've enjoyed that so much. Even even pastoring now, I always have a, a desire just to just to get back and working with international populations because it was huge. But um, yeah, so that was that was where where we met. And um, again, I think I, I I will be having classes with you soon, uh, so I'm looking forward to that. But um, even to then, really, maybe just for for our listeners, um, maybe just give us a like a even before we get into some of the professional stuff. And, and again, I think you're just an amazing resource um, for the mental health community in general and social work and this being May Mental Health Awareness Month. Um, we're definitely blessed to have you with us. But even before we get into some of that, I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about your just personal background, maybe where you're from, where you grew up. Um, and I think I'm really curious to know what is your favorite sandwich? Those will be 
you should have given me time to think about that. Uh, but if I do, then you're going to know. You'll know. Yeah, we're going to, it's got to be the organic thought. Keep me going. All right. A little bit about myself. So um, I'm a preacher's kid, Rico. And so what that means is that, you know, you're kind of born into the life of service. And my family is originally from South America. And so we, we, ministered overseas and even here in the U.S., but primarily within Latino communities. And so, you know, the multicultural dimension was always there because um, we had immigrants, but people from different countries, even though we could say Latinos, but every country has different cultures and different ways of of thinking, even though we share the language. so I think even as a kid, right, service was what we did yeah. uh, as a family, even even growing up. So I don't think there was ever a question that social work was what I was going to go into. Mm-hmm. Um, but then God guides what kind of social work. And so that's one of the things that I even say to students, and I've probably even maybe even said it to you, and you didn't realize I said it, where I'll say God's got surprises where of where you end up being, yeah. right? You open yourself up and then God puts you in those in those situations, just like Bethany and doing refugee work. I would have never imagined that I would have been doing that. But yeah. I knew that I wanted to be a counselor. I wanted to be a therapist, right? That part I knew. Um, and I wanted to work with children. And so that's where I focused my career. So early on, I worked at the juvenile detention center in a psychiatric hospital for children. It was all very much about children and then became a child and family therapist. Um, but again, God's got these surprises as far as, you know, program development. And that's where we're at now, Rico. And I think we'll touch on that of, I love to teach, but that was never in my like idea that one day God would have me teaching or now that we have this trauma education center at Andrews. Um, But the Lord sees the need for us to be talking about trauma and the, and his plan for healing. There's healing to be had. Right. Um, So uh, now I went off on my topic where I was supposed to talk about my favorite sandwich. (laughs) You know, I'll tell you what I had for lunch. It's lunchtime here. Right. Right. I had, tomato and basil um, sandwich. That's my favorite on sourdough bread, fresh garden basil. Um, yeah. Nothing like it. I mean, yeah. the tomatoes are still store-bought, right? But yeah. is, is, the, is the bread toasted or no? Yes, yeah, slightly. And then olive oil. Yes, that's it. That's the one. Love it. Love it. Okay. Well, that's great. I honestly, I, I, I never even, I'm realizing now, and I, I kind of anticipated this would happen, uh, even though we've been able to work together um, and cross paths just at Andrews and things, I, I realized there's probably quite a bit I didn't know. And so even just hearing um, that being a professor or teaching was not what your main goal ever was, I'm like, wow, okay. But that makes so much sense because I've seen the, you know, the work that you do. And, and I was just even just on the website just now, and I know there were pictures on the website uh, for the trauma center and you're there. You're there with whatever country you guys were in, you're, you're there. Like it's a, you're a, you're a in the trenches type person, it seems. So uh, that makes a lot of sense to me now. Um, okay. So that's a great overview. I'm wondering if you were for our listeners just to um, just to give like a baseline definition or explanation of what trauma is, how would you describe that? I'm so glad you asked. So 
you know, when I talk to people, sometimes people will say, and, or even if I say, you know, we've got this trauma ed center, um, I'll say people, well, people will say to me, well, what trauma, like, okay, like a car accident. And like, you're going to put people in a helicopter and you fly them there. And, and I'll have to pause and I'll say, not physical trauma. Now, can trauma come from having an accident, emotional, psychological trauma? Yes. So that's the first thing we're going to differentiate, right? Mm -hmm. That when we talk the, when we're talking about trauma, at least today, you and I, we're talking about emotional, psychological trauma. Mm -hmm. And for many years, as you know, and as our society knows, we didn't know what it was. Like we didn't know how to call it. Right. So you think back to like veterans, right. Coming back from wars and we couldn't see any outside wounds, but there was, we could, there was something, right. And, and we could tell that they were hurting, but we didn't even know what to call it. Some people would call it hysteria, we'd call it shell shock. We didn't know what was going on. Mm-hmm. We now have more names for it, right? We can call it trauma responses. We can even call it, some people have a diagnosable PTSD, right? But truly a definition of trauma is it's a wound. The, wo- the word trauma comes from the Greek word for wound. And so we're talking about psychological, emotional wounds that can stem throughout the lifespan, even from in utero. Wow. And Rico, it affects all of us. Yeah. All of us. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and that's, I mean, I love, I love that you even added that second part because I feel like, and for a lot of people, what will happen is they'll hear um, about whenever you begin at, you know, adding ologies to language people like, Oh, that that's not me. That's somebody who's sick or, Oh, that's not me. That's, you know, that's somebody that something really bad happened. And so really just normalizing the idea that um, everybody has experienced trauma in different forms, shapes, degrees throughout their childhood and their life, I think is huge um, in, in fighting the stigma that we even have against mental health. Um, so that's, I mean, I, I, I'm wondering <clears throat> What I, what I did want to ask you as well, um, now that we we kind of covered, you know, what trauma is in, in terms of baseline understanding, what exactly does what exactly does the International Center for for Trauma do? What is your guys' mission, and what do you guys tell us a little bit about that work? All right, before we get into more trauma, because I wanted to tell you more things that will come back to that. Um, So the International Center at Andrews was created in late 2019. So we're just a little baby organization. And the reason the center exists is what had happened is we had been invited, we meaning a few of us at Andrews, to join um, an organization that's called ASAP, so um, Advocates for Southeast Asians and the Persecuted. They invited us to go to a refugee camp. Um, in Thailand. And the reason they invited us to go there is because they understand the impact of trauma and mental health and how it can be intergenerational, how it's all encompassing, how it affects people to then want to use substances or suicide, consider suicide, et cetera. But in a refugee camp, unlike here in the U.S., you can't say, oh, just go to counseling. Mm. Because, I mean, there's days where maybe they don't even have enough food. And so what they asked us to do is to come in and talk about what are some practical things that we can do to support each other in the healing of trauma. 
And from that initial trip, then others started hearing about the work we were doing. And that's what evolved into the center that you hear about today, that really our job is education. education for churches, communities, individuals to understand trauma and then to support the healing that we can do together because that's, that's the only way it happens is together. Yeah. You know, I know, I know you and your, your teams and your um, students have had a presence in, you know, churches all around. And I know that's, that is one particular part or, or target audience that, that you guys are focusing on is really providing education and awareness in churches and for lay leaders. I'm really curious to know what, what, what misunderstandings or what baseline knowledge have you encountered in our churches or in churches across the board with places that you've gone, that you've spoken to? What are people confused about when it comes to trauma and what are they most enlightened by with what, with what you all share? So I think, again, sometimes we think that it doesn't affect us, right? Yeah. Um, you know, it's somewhere else. Sure, it's in other countries. Or if it's here, sometimes we only want to acknowledge what we call the big T traumas. So let me differentiate between yeah. big T and little T. So a minute ago, I talked about a car accident. So obviously, if somebody's been in a car accident, we're all like, oh, yeah, that was dramatic. But did you know that a little T trauma is bullying? We see changes in the brain. Divorce can cause little t impact, little t traumas, maybe things that we don't see. So again, big T, war in Ukraine, everybody's talking about that, right? Big T, little t's can be spiritual abuse, you know, neglect where parents just are not connecting with their children or even later in adulthood, maybe are ignoring each other. So When we talk about trauma, think about those wounds that impact our brains. And we now see it in brain scans, right? We can see the impact on the brain that can affect our day-to-day lives. And so when we present this to churches, we, we talk about the fact that we've all experienced trauma one way or another, right? And that prayer is so, so important. But just like when we talk about mental health, right, the brain is an organ. And sometimes we need additional supports, right? Whether it's going to a specialist, whether it's leaning, you know, on a doctor, we need those additional things. So that's the additional piece we talk to churches about, where one of the ways to heal in trauma is to be able to be in safe spaces to talk about it. So I love that you're calling this a space because science shows us that trauma healing can occur. And so how do we create safe churches? so that that healing can happen. Oh, so huge. This is, is, it's crazy because the, you know, spaces was, I shared with you a little bit before we started um, that spaces is a concept um, that really was delivered through, you know, the pastoral staff at Relove Church, seeking the face of God for a very clear, definable 
win and direction for for the year 2022. Um, and out of that, you know, we recognize that there's been a huge amount of disconnect. Obviously, people are still recovering from, you know, life in quarantine and just disconnecting and the the amounts of depression and anxiety rates that have increased during that period of time, um, we recognize that there was just a huge disconnect. And so this year in, you know, Spaces has been founded for us as far as our context at Relove is founded on the promise um, that Jesus made to his disciples in, in Matthew 18, 20, where he says that we're two or more are gathered, that the spirit of the Lord will be with them as well. So we've just been focusing as a church on connecting with each other and connecting with the people in our lives. And so, you know, literally once a week, we will take inventory of our life groups. Hey, how many spaces did each of you create over the last week? So for, for, for me to hear from you, even from, you know, um, an educated or clinical perspective, how much of power there is just in human connection and togetherness and community is, is, is huge. It's just exciting to me because I really see that God was even in our movement, even prior to us really understanding the depth of it and, and how much people really need what, when you say that, that there is healing that can take place through, connection speak more on that what is what are and, and i'm wondering also what from your perspective are some of the barriers to people connecting so i'm gonna tell you i'm gonna tell you a couple of things as you were talking it made me think about it so one of the things that we talk about um with within the trauma world is what's what's called the sanctuary model of care now it's a secular model right created by dr sandra bloom um in the late 80s and as she looked at how do we create areas, communities, organizations that promote healing. And so part of the concept, bottom line, sanctuary model of care, which again, if we think about as Christians, the Old Testament sanctuary that is all about restoration, right? But in this secular model, she specifically talks about instead of looking at each other and saying, what's wrong with you? That we look at each other and we say, what's happened to you? So instead of saying, why is that guy acting that way? Why is she treating me like that? To say, what's happened to you? And so therefore creating spaces where not only do we change our perspective of the way we look at each other, but we're hearing our stories, right? We're hearing our stories. So another, um, that goes back to what you were saying about what happens in community. Science shows us that healing happens in community. When you look at the greats, whether it's Bruce Perry, or when you look at Vessel Van Kolk, they all say people, not programs change people, right? It's within community. That's the number one key for mental health. It's community. It's being in relationship with people. But let me tell you a scientific experiment they did. And I think maybe you've heard this one because I shared a lot. We talk about a scientific experiment that was done with a monkey. Um, and Dr. Henry, the uh, town and, and, and cloud, they've done some research with this. So they take a monkey and they put a monkey in a cage and they traumatize it, literally everything they can think of to do to this monkey. And they check its cortisol levels at the end. Now, mind you, cortisol is the stress hormone, right? Which in and of itself, cortisol isn't bad. God created us to have that. But we, if we stay at that altered survival state for too long, it affects us. So at the end of this experiment, they measured the monkey's cortisol levels and the cortisol levels were off the charts. So then they redid the experiment 
took two monkeys, different monkeys, I'm not saying monkey, two monkeys and put them together in the cage. And they did the experiment. And this time the cortisol levels were half simply because that monkey was not alone. Wow. So think about how the pandemic has isolated us, mm. right? And that's why those rates are going up. So we got to get back into community, into connection. Mm. Mm. That's huge. Um, I, <clears throat> it's, it's, it's just incredible to understand, again, that there is, I feel like on a personal level, I have experienced so much power through human connection, through uh, sharing moments of vulnerability, whether it be uh, seasons of grief after losing somebody or, um, you know, getting through seasons of change or just experience. And I personally know I need people. Um, and I think a lot of times I, like others may say, oh, well, I know I'm an extrovert. I'm a very social person. Like I'd rather, and we make it about an introvert extrovert thing um, and just disqualify the needs of people. Oh, well, if you're not an extrovert, then you're likely, you know, that you're not going to need people the same way. And I know there's a lot of false thinking in that. So to me, I'm just so very encouraged to even see that there is science to, to back my personal experience and the personal experience that a lot of people in churches and in faith communities and just people in general, I don't even want to isolate just people in churches and faith communities because there's people connecting emotionally in bars, in hookah lounges, in places far outside the church where you see at the end of the day, uh, that God designed us in a certain way, and that is for connection with one another. Um, that's that's hugely encouraging to me. Um, I'm 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 <clears throat> I was wondering if you could share a little bit, and because I, I think that some people I think there is maybe a little bit of familiarity with the idea of uh, you know fight or flight, and I know that there are others, and when we're considering trauma responses, and I'm wondering if you can just shed some light on on other trauma responses like fight and flight. I, I know I've heard fawn and freeze and and others. What what are those about, and what should people know about those for themselves personally? So. It's what our bodies were made to do, right? God made us in this amazing way in our, on our automatic nervous system. We've got the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. So the sympathetic is our, our emergency response, right? Crisis response system. It shuts everything else down, shuts my digestion down, shuts everything else down so I can survive. So Rico, let's pretend, right? We go for a walk and we're walking along, having a great time and we hear like a stick breaking. And I'm like, Rico, did you hear that? Right. They're like, Oh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's a bird, maybe something. We keep walking and we realize the birds have stopped singing and we hear another stick break. Okay. So we're starting to sense something. And all of a sudden here's a grizzly bear. All right, Rico, what are we going to do? I'm freaking out. (laughs) <laughs> Are you freaking out? We're just pretending. We're, right. So we've got right now we're, there's five, five different. I mean, the ones we know are fight, flight, freeze, right? Um, so we could fight the bear. We could freeze. We could flee. So fight, flight, you know, flight. We could run. They added to is fawn. So fawn, think of it as a baby deer, literally like a fawn, just kind of submitting. Mm-hmm. So you're not um, totally freezing but it's just submit. And so sometimes we see this, you know, sadly, and like sexual abuse victims, they just submit over and over again. It's, and later they question and they say, why didn't I fight? Why didn't I, you fawned? That was your survival mode, right? 
Um, and then we say flock. Flock, sometimes we see with refugees, they flock together to flee together. They flock together. So maybe Rico, you and I would grab onto each other, right? We flock. And then now we're going to make a decision as to what we're going to do. Or maybe you're already out of there. By the time I decide to flock, you've already, right? Mm. Run away from, from our grizzly bear that we're talking about. So think about how your body gets altered. And then let's say whatever method we respond with, we're safe. We run back. We're like, phew, we made it. Can you believe it? Right. Then there's that calm down time where there's exhaustion. Maybe suddenly I'm starving and you're like, I got to take a nap because that was too much. Right. So that's where our parasympathetic system kicks in. It's the rest restore system. But what? If that grizzly bear lives in your house, Mm. if that grizzly bear is in your neighborhood, what if that grizzly bear is in your school, right? What if that's, you're constantly in that survival mode and that's the fear. And really for our world, if you think about the pandemic, the grizzly bear has kind of been lurking around every corner, right? In, In the pandemic per se. So it's really affecting us in our bodies. Man, man, man. So the person who is, I I don't want to jump there too quick. Let me think about this. So, So with that information, how should people see hope for their situation? Because I feel like, I, I understand and when I'm hearing you speak, hey, this is the gravity behind the way our body and our mind works and the impacts that happen. I know we can even explore that more, um, but I, I almost feel a bit overwhelmed as just a yeah. listener. So what, what, what would you recommend be the way w- as a listener receives this information and hears this? Because at the end of the day, we're acknowledging that Trauma is something that you can't stop. It's not, it's something that happens to you. And, um, you know, as far as struggles that people have with mental health, it's not always um, in an illness as much as it is an injury because something happened to you. So now I'm just seating myself in the place of a victim. So how can I, knowing this, uh, be empowered? How should I, as a person who's experienced trauma, walk away from this conversation encouraged. Yeah. So first we're going to acknowledge, right? We're going to name it. We say to name it is to tame it. We're going to name it. You just named it. Mm. Right. Um, And then we're going to say, we're going to treat ourselves and others with compassion. Like you just said, because it's something that's happened to you, but we need to move forward in hope and in faith and knowing that there's healing. So mind you, we talked about that grizzly and maybe people are in situations where they can get away from the grizzly, but if they can't, maybe it's pressures at work or other things, right? What are you intentionally doing to keep your body or, or to have your body go into that rest restore system? So let's go back and think about God's answers for that, right? God's answers for a traumatized world are we've got every seven days, rest, restore. He knows we've got an evil world. 
rest, restore. He gives us our health message. What are we doing to keep that brain as healthy as we can from drinking water? So when we worked with children that have trauma, that we are constantly hydrating them so that their little brains can heal, can heal, can heal hydration, 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 appropriate food. We're feeding kids every two hours. It's that important. Okay. So where are you at? What are things? There's so many things we can't control, but there's a lot of things we can control. So how are you sleeping? What kind of um, calming practices are you doing from prayer to music? So then let me teach you a couple of tricks, Rico. So once there's been, there's a lot of science that's going into the, the, the vagus nerve. So the vagus nerve is the longest cranial nerve. It starts at the, at the nape of our neck. So it's from the, from our brain and it's the wandering nerve all the way down to the pelvic floor. It's the nerve that's responsible for moving us from our sympathetic. So the survival system into our rest restore system. So you guess what? One of the ways to activate it is singing. No way singing loudly. Now, mind you, I didn't say in tune because I'm about as tone deaf as they come, right? (laughs) Sing loudly. You can activate that vagus nerve into that rest response. So I love the story of Peter and Silas in prison. Mm. So Rico, think back, right? They've just been whipped. They've been, they're probably naked because the Bible says they were stripped and then they were whipped and then they were thrown in jail in the stocks, right? Yeah. And in there, maybe they're dying in the morning. They didn't know if they were going to be put to death. What are they doing? Mm. They're singing. Yeah. Yeah. So there's things that, and we could get carried away as far as all the things that we can do to try to heal our brain and our bodies, you know, with God, as we continue to be in this bad world, right? Things aren't going to get any better, mm-hmm. but the hope is that there are things we can do. Um, to calm ourselves and then to be in community. And that's the number one thing aside from all of these, because guess what? Back to singing. Yeah. There's higher impact if you're singing with other people. Wow. So it's good to sing by yourself, but if you're singing with others, we see the, the, the positive impact on the brain goes up and science is saying this. How cool is that? Wow. Wow. This is incredible. This is, this is really, I mean, I guess I, <clears throat> I think I know stuff until I talk to people like you, then I realize there's so much more to know. This is encouraging though. This, this is encouraging. So what, what in, in your, in your professional experience with all the populations you've worked with, what are some of the barriers to people pursuing this connection with each other that you think just from your own personal and professional perspective, what is stopping people from experiencing the healing that is potentially can take place between our connection? What, what prevents that? Shame. Mm. Badly, we have shame, right? We don't want to admit things that have happened to us or maybe the way we decided to cope with them, right? So um, for your listeners, they could look into the, the ACE study, the Adverse Childhood Experiences study. So that looks at the first 18 years of life. Um, and it states different things in there. Like if you had, you know, uh, abuse and neglect and some other things, but mind you, people that have an ACE score of four, for example, are 780% more likely to use substances to be addicted to drugs. And so there's people who now are having shame because 
they're addicted. But again, we go back to instead of what's wrong with you, it's what's happened to you and looking at where is the hope and the healing. Nobody as a little kid says, when I grow up, I'm going to be a drug addict, right? They were self-medicating. And so how can we be individuals that create such safe split places that there isn't shame, right? And the stigma, right? That we're not going to stigmatize people, that we are going to accept them regardless of what's happened to them or what they've done because of it. Yeah. Yeah. When you think about, when you think about a safe space, um, I, I was, I was in a workshop not long ago and at the top of it, they differentiated between a safe space and a courageous space. And to some degree, it really made me think because they were saying, Hey, listen, a lot of times we're really, we're really so scared of hurting each other that we never actually um, demonstrate the courageousness necessary to say what we really feel. And so our safe spaces turn into fake spaces. Mm. And, 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 so, and they made it, and that's always stuck with me. Uh, and it's hard because I see a lack of both of them in the church, just as a pastor and somebody who's worked with nonprofit and worked with different people myself, I know that there, there, there really is, we are genuinely inauthentic in our gathering together as Christians in church. And this is almost across the board. Um, and so I, I, when I, when I really hear that, what would you consider a safe space considering the people you've worked with and what you're talking about for trauma? What does a person who's experienced minor or severe trauma need to feel safe in these conversations relative to their shame and other things? Um, and then what would you then, what would, what would you consider be characteristics of a courageous space where somebody could actually feel safe enough that they could be bold enough to say things they wouldn't say and demonstrate vulnerability that they wouldn't otherwise Speak a little bit to that, safe and courageous. What do you think? So, Rico, one of the things we talk about, um, uh, especially when we do trust-based relational intervention training, so TBRI training, we talk about felt safety because I think our community and our society is 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 grabbing onto this concept of safe spaces, right? But we can call it that all we want, like you said, but unless there's felt safety that each individual actually feels safe. And so what does that feel like, Mm -hmm. right? And so sometimes we start even with our senses. That's a good place to start. Check in on your senses, right? Can we hear each other? Can we see each other? Because eye contact is so important. Is there touch? You know, like if, if you and I were in person, you know, can you shake my hand at the end of our time together? Can we have a hug, right? Is there touch? Um, appropriate touch. But so think through senses really do help to create safety with individuals. That's one, right? But then there's got to be a commitment in all the individuals that are in relationship that I'm going to hold your stuff in safety. I'm not going to go run around and share the stuff, right? And then the courageous, I love that concept. I've not heard that. So I'm learning too. And isn't that great that we all learn together because nobody's, nobody's higher than anyone else. We're all in this journey together and we're holding hands as we listen to each other, right? Courage, courage to speak what's on our hearts, courage to be vulnerable, courage to be able to say we're hurting, courage to be able to say we have doubts. Um, 
And the additional piece too, Rico, and maybe you remember this, remember at Bethany, we always had a community meeting at the beginning of our meetings and we would talk about how we're feeling. Yeah. But do you remember that even if I said to you, I'm not having such a good day, you just kind of allowed me to be. Mm-hmm. And so many times we want to go fix everything. And sometimes we just have to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And can we just be with each other? Um, Casting Crowns has a great song. They call it Broken Together. I love that concept. Yeah. You know, are we walking each other home? And that's to our ultimate home. Huh. This is good. This is really good. This is good. I, 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 as much as, as much as what I hear you, I'm contextualizing what you're saying for my personal, um, you know, circumstances as a pastor with church and, and church members. I also hear how this, there's truth in in what you're saying that applies to everybody's situation, to everybody's circumstances, whether they're in church or not. You know, there is community to be experienced. There's family, you know, to be shared. People are are, are have been hurt in ways that they may not understand. Um, and and even I, that, and that's one thing that that I I find so fascinating about people's individual mental health journeys is that you can not even be aware of some of the ways that you are responding to experiences that have not even been recent to you. Some of that childhood stuff, and you bring up that, you know, the ACE, you know, the the ACE assessment and, you know, your score there and the likelihood that you have, you know, based upon your score to develop certain other, you know, conditions throughout your life. And this is fascinating just to really, when you really consider the interconnectedness of the human mind and the body, and when you really consider the power that people have in just their presence and existence in each other's lives. Um, and, and I guess I just really wish um, that we could experience more of that um, in, in the church, because I even find, and, and we were just, you know, we're in a, a sermon series right now called I'm Fine. And it really is just revealing some of the negative parts of Christian culture that have become destructive to people's mental health journeys, where we we have to come in and just be the happy person. You have to project that you're saved. You need to be grateful. You can't share a prayer request because that prayer request makes you look like you're ungrateful because there's people who are experiencing homelessness outside. And well, you know, you're upset that you didn't get, you know, the, the loan that you asked for. I mean, there's so many reasons that there's shame around, like, you know, what you've identified around people's personal experiences. And I just really wish we could experience more of that in churches. I'm wondering in the circles that you've been in, um, how have you seen, how have you seen, how have you seen breakthroughs in that area or have you? Or have you? I know with other churches and communities, how have you seen, you know, us break the chains of this culture that can be so destructive to our mental health journeys? You're naming it. So we've been doing a lot of talking at the Trauma Ed Center about toxic positivity. Yeah. You know, and and how sometimes even with, you know, a prayer and a Bible verse, we're in a way blowing people off, right? Someone tells me that they're struggling and I'm like, oh, I'll pray for you. But what, what does that look like? What is the intentionality? And we're not saying prayer is not enough, but it's prayer and, right? It's prayer and, and, and that our toxic positive to positivity isn't becoming a stumbling block then to be in relationship. In the trauma world, again, we say what's shareable is bearable. Uh-huh. Okay, so think about 
Paul in the Bible. That's what he tells us to do, right? We have to share each other's burdens, but we have to be courageous about identifying the burden, being willing to then share it. And then the other person has to be the trustworthy person that I'm willing to share that burden with, and that it's going to be non-judgmental, right? And that's what we're all seeking is that unconditional love from each other, Rico. We all know it. We all want it. Yeah, man, that's good. That's really good. I, um, I have just a couple more, more questions before, before our time comes to a close and, and I'll, I'll, I'll say the, I'll say the, the last one first, so you can be thinking about it, but before we end, I, I do want to hear a little bit about what, um, you know, the, the trauma center is, has going on right now. And I want to know how, um, how people can support that whether that's financial support or whether that is um, by, by word of mouth or promotion or what, what you guys have going on. I'm super disconnected from the Andrews world since I moved back out here to Southern California. So um, I do for our listeners and for the sake of, of you know, what you're so heavily involved in, want to bridge that gap as well to, to bring promotion opportunity to the trauma center. But we can think about that later. My other question um, here is, uh, you know, be, as, as we just, as we just wrap up is um, what, what words of encouragement would you have to the person who is personally experiencing suicidal ideation that is personally feeling overwhelmed by their journey with anxiety or depression? Um, you know, whether it's from a, a perspective of understanding trauma and mindfulness or w- what, whatever they can do, what, what words of encouragement do you have to the person who feels overwhelmed with their personal battle? So first I want to say, hang on right? There is, there is healing to be had. No one says, um, not, I take that back. When people consider suicide, it isn't because they want to die. It's because they want to stop the pain. Right. And so I want to say to people, there is hope and healing for your pain. You need to reach out to someone. You need to reach out to someone. Um, there is hope and healing for that pain. It is a journey. And will the pain go away? Not until we're completely in heaven, right? But there's a way to lessen it. There's, there's a way to function and still find joy and meaning. And so I just say to people, hang on and talk to someone. And if you're not comfortable with the 1-800 line, then find a neighbor, find someone. They can call you, Rico. They can find me. They can email me. They can look me up on the Andrews website and email me. Um, we're, there shouldn't be these hierarchical things of, oh, I can't call them. No, reach out to someone. Get by a human. Don't do this alone. Okay? Don't do this alone. We were not created to do life alone. We were not created to do life alone. Um, and then as far as the trauma ed center, Rico, that's a very kind of you for, for you to bring that up. Um, hey, so we covet prayers um, that God guides every step that we do because we um, we just answer the call where we're being called to do. So currently what one of the things that our team is doing is um, you know, we're trying to work locally in our community with Boys and Girls Club and with the CASA programs and with um, public schools. We're also trying to go, you know, really across the country. We're, we're supporting the North American Division and doing things with schools and having trauma-informed teachers um, 
we're also looking at trauma-informed churches and helping churches to become trauma-informed healing centers. So, you know, that's in development and we can talk more later, Rico. Um, But like currently, for example, our team has um, been training into Poland. So it was just a random, those God moments, right? One of our former alumni happened to be there helping with the refugee crisis, was there at a hostel in Poland that is housing 400 refugees and their team is literally just volunteers. And they said, we have no training. Can you please support us? So we've been doing it weekly. We have been zooming into Poland um, and giving them some, you know, some training. Last week, we talked about grief and children. Um, So we just, we just try to answer the call right where the need is. that and to the best of our capacity, right? That's what we're doing. Yeah. Such good work. Ingrid, thank you so much for uh, being with us today on the podcast and just for sharing. I mean, it's as much as there is, um, you know, education may fuel some of the things that you share. I think one thing I've always appreciated about you most is that even before above and beyond that education is a heart that God gave you for people and, a hopefulness that he made within you to be contagious with others. And I've seen that in your work, both with your students and with your friends and colleagues at Bethany. And so I'm just grateful. Wanted to express to you my gratefulness personally, just for this time. I genuinely mean it. Um, and I'm just super excited uh, to get this, to get this episode out because I truly believe uh, that it, it, it can really provide hope and healing for people who, who may have been confused about why they feel the way they feel and understanding that there's, there's, there's hope. There is hope. Thank you, you, Rico. There is hope. And we see it in those brain scans. That's what's so cool, right? Where people start saying, I'm feeling better. But we now have brain images that we see activity in certain areas of the brain. Um, So do all kinds of stuff. Do art, do singing, go to nature, go to therapy. There's lots to be done. And then obviously our hope in Jesus. But you bring me hope too, Rico. What you guys are doing out there is powerful. Creating those spaces. Way to go. Thank you, Ingrid. Thank you so much for joining. And thank all of you listeners for being with us today. We're so grateful. Uh, We pray that you have truly experienced an encounter with God. And we look forward to uh, our next time together at the Spaces podcast, where we explore the power of connection. We'll see you soon.